Welcome everybody, we're gonna try to get through this. OBS has given me a really, really hard time. I don't know why, but it seems to be like randomly disconnecting and reconnecting. Um, hopefully it stays connected long enough for us to have a stream. If it continues to be a big problem, um, we'll probably have to shut this early because it won't be any fun. But uh, I've done what I can for now. OBS just released a, a big update and um, yeah, I think that uh, <laughs> it might be giving us some trouble, but we'll do our best. So let's get to the important stuff quickly, which um, we're going to start with the shipping report. We're going to do a giveaway and then we'll take your, your questions and comments um, and do a little update on what's been going on at the warehouse. Um, so. The shipping report is 100% success. Everyone's arrived alive. There is one issue we had though. It Well, there's two issues we had. One was um, we had our first leaky bag in forever. I can't remember the last time we had a leaky bag. It was a Sevrum. We wrapped that thing in I think four layers of bags and uh, it still managed to poke a spine through. So. What we're going to do is start using eight mil bags for, for large Sevrums and, you know, the Plecos as they get a little size on them and anything that's, that's spinier. And we'll double bag them. So that'll be 16 mils in each of those. So, um, yeah, first, first damp, not, not, not like all wet and gross, but, uh, at least the report said it, the, the, the box was damp. And, um, so got a little leak in there. Can't remember the last time that happened. It's been forever. So that was an issue. So um, I think the fish is going to be okay, though. It did add a little extra stress to the fish because I imagine the water volume in the bag went down. The bag might have got a little flaccid. And so um, the fish seems, you know, more stressed than we normally have when they arrive. But we're we're thinking it'll probably be okay. Severum's a pretty tough fish. So um, fingers crossed for that person who received that fish. And uh, I think we'll end up coming out of the woods on that, though. But the real problem we had with shipping was this. Monday, we took all the boxes of fish up to ship. There was one box going to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And um, UPS has changed things, or I wasn't aware before of, of a, a piece of paperwork they needed to start shipping fish to Puerto Rico. I've shipped several fish to Puerto Rico over the years, um, but I don't do it very often. The last one was many months ago. So I got up there with the box and they're like, oh, we need this, this, uh, you know, customs document. So I had to run back home to grab that document. Luckily, we had plenty of time to do that. No problem. So it seemed like a pain at the time, right? Okay, got to drive home, grab that document, get up there. But I'm glad I did because when I returned about 20 minutes later, um, I was like, is this the document you need? And the guy says, yes, but we just got a call. The plane is broken down and can't leave. So I'm glad I went back up because I was able to get all the fish back that I had dropped off 20 minutes earlier, bring them back here, keep them warm and temperature controlled and in a good environment and keep an eye on them um, and not ship them until the next day. So what would have happened if I hadn't picked them, hadn't had to go back up and, and fortuitously had that issue that <laughs> made me go back up to UPS again, uh, is 
they would have not got on the plane. They would have been sent by truck to Casper, Wyoming, which is a couple hours away. However, they would not get there in time to make that flight either. So they would have ended up spending the night probably in Casper. It's very cold and that would not have been a great thing for them. Um, so it ended up being kind of fortuitous that we had that little paperwork snafu, easily corrected, but bought me the time I needed to for them to find out that the plane was broken down and for me to return in time to get the fish. So ended up working out okay. Um, I know it's horrible for customers when the fish don't arrive the day that they're supposed to. Uh, I've, I've, I've been that guy many times when I've been expecting the fish and they don't arrive that day. Uh, I know people take work off. I know they re- rearrange their lives and their schedules so just so they can get the fish. So I apologize to any customers that happened to. Luckily, um, it looks like folks have received their fish in good shape. There is one box that got delayed in, it's a banner day for, uh, for things breaking down for UPS. One box got delayed in Louisville because of, I can't remember if that was an airplane or just a, a, a mechanical failure in the warehouse, but there is one box that we sent yesterday that still needs to arrive, should arrive tomorrow. Um, so it's, it's been a week of delays. But luckily, everything that's arrived has arrived alive as far as we know. So that's uh, <laughs> Zane's. I just saw your your comment pop up. I need them amber barbs. <laughs> yes, you do. Everyone needs them amber barbs. We'll talk about that in a second. So that's the shipping report. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the giveaway since uh, <laughs> since Zane's needs them amber barbs. So here's the giveaway. And then I'm going to update you on what's going on uh, with the warehouse construction, which is coming along nicely. All right. So these are the fish we're going to be giving away. These are Borboides gracilis. They are a dwarf cyprinid, a little tiny barb, let's say, from West Africa, Central and West Africa. They have a pretty large distribution. It's a pretty successful little species. These species that experience this kind of miniaturization are generally in the fish world from like peat swamps or other fairly sterile and nutrient poor um, environments. So an analog to them, to, to of what these are, if you're familiar with like the chili rasbora and the micro, the uh, Boraris species, these come out of Asia. Same thing though. They live in these kind of nutrient poor peat swampy type areas. Um, and they look very similar. You can see the similarities like this guy. What is this? Maculatus? That's no, this is a uh, Nuevas has this dark spot here. Little amber fish with a dark spot. Barboides gracilis, same kind of thing. But in their case, the dark spot is, is a little further back, but very similar in a lot of ways. Let's see here, Maculatus is another one that is similar. But anyway, if you just take a gander, right, at the these little rasboras and at the gracilis, you can see the similarities. And there's something about these kind of sterile, nutrient-poor environments that causes fish to want to miniaturize. And it's probably lack of food, 
Um, in a sterile environment like that, there's not a lot of food producing things. When the pH is low, it's hard for bacteria and, and many other microorganisms to thrive because that low pH is acidic and acid is a good sterilizer, right? And um, so food's limited. So it, it behooves a fish in that case to become small so it doesn't require as much food. Another thing how that affects keeping these fish is they need to eat, they don't eat quickly. They need little bits of food for long periods of time. So something to keep in mind with these dwarf amber barbs and barara species, chili rasbors, exclamation point rasbors, all those kinds of things, is they do much better if they have a long time to eat. That can be squirting in some baby brine shrimp in the morning, enough that it would last till like say lunchtime and they've got three, four hours to just you know, gradually pick that off. That also, something we find that works really well for these uh, dwarf amber barbs is I'll put in like a, a Hikari Massivore Delight pellet. So a large kind of carnivore pellet or an algae wafer, something that's big and doesn't break down quickly. Rapashi would work for this too. And they'll munch on that for a couple hours. And if I do that, they, they get plenty of food. They won't do well, though, if you just sprinkle a little flake food on the top and walk away and expect them to get enough food that way. Um, especially if there's other fish in the tank, because the other fish will eat that food much faster than they will. They're slow eaters. They're grazers. They find stuff and they have tiny little mouths and they kind of pick at it. So um, something neat about the Barboides genus is there's only two species in the genus. And the second one was only described in 2006. It's Barboides britsi. Or is it Britsy? <laughs> My Latin is non-existent. But you can't find a picture of it. <laughs> this is all you can find about it. A description, a written scientific paper, which if anyone's interested, I will go ahead and paste down here for you. If you're one of those nerd out on scientific description type people. Um, but that's it. There aren't that many species of the Barboides genus. Maybe there's more that will be described later on. Um, who knows? But Cool little fish. Now, a couple things about keeping the African dwarf amber barb. We already talked about their food. They're, they take a long time to eat, so you can't keep them with anything that's really a fast feeder or food aggressive, right? They're super peaceful, so keep them with other things that are peaceful. But they do make a good community fish, and they do make a good kind of nano fish. They're not as they aren't they don't just sit still. They swim around, but it's not fast. It's not like a Danio or something like that. It's kind of, they just kind of hang out and swim around together. So small aquascaped uh, aquariums, they would do great in that kind of thing. The literature says that they're hard to get to eat, um, non-live foods. And that's maybe true. It did take a little while to wean them over to prepared foods, but they're eating them now. Dry foods, frozen foods, live foods, as long as it's small or big and they can like take little chunks off at a time, like a pellet or a wafer, they'll do fine on that. Um, they don't like a ton of current, just like the chili rasbors and stuff. Um, those kind of high tannin peaty type environments don't experience a lot of flow. There might be a little flow, but it's not rapid. So they're not gonna wanna be in a tank with a ton of current. But if you have a, a tank that um, doesn't have a ton of current and doesn't have boisterous species in it, they'll probably do just fine for you. I have not found them to be very demanding, especially once they learn to eat 
dry and prepared foods and things like that. Um, really interesting little fish. And I, oh, one thing about them is they do like to be in groups. I'll send you a group of at least six. But this is one that like, you know, the bigger, the better. A group of 200 would not be too much for them, right? Like a 75 gallon tank or something with 200 in there. They wouldn't mind that at all. That's that's the, the, the bigger, the better as far as they're concerned. So if you would like to win a peaceful nano fish that doesn't need a, a super large tank, although parameters are steadier in large tanks, right? Um, in, in fact, nano fish, they don't get an inch. I think the seriously fish... So that the highest recorded size for them was 0.7 inches. So not even three quarters of an inch, small little guys. So true nanofish. Um, then um, to enter this giveaway, if you're interested, it's appropriately, I think, hashtag nano, hashtag N-A-N-O for this cute little nanofish. Um, but one other thing about these, they should not go in a new aquarium. They need a, an established, mature, as, as Corey would say, well-seasoned aquarium because ammonia will wipe them out. They're not going to do well if there's ammonia or nitrites, and they don't like high nitrates either. Um, now, they're, they're acclimated to aquarium life, so I don't think you're going to have that issue that some blackwater species have where they're brought freshly out of those acidic environments, put in our aquariums, and they just their immune systems get overrun by all the organisms that live in alkaline um, pHs in harder water. Um, they they've been we've had them for a while, and they're they're fully adjusted to to life in aquariums at this point. So I think they'll be hardy and do well for you, but they won't like an ammonia spike. They won't like nitrite in the water. That would be a deal breaker for them. So keep that in mind. If your tank isn't fully mature and steady and seasoned and all that, then probably not the best choice. But again, um, hashtag nano, if you would like a chance to win at least six dwarf amber barbs. I like them a lot. They've been great little fish and they're, they're very unique. Uh, again, there's only two species in that genus. And uh, it's the African answer to the Boraris species, I suppose, is a way to look at it. Zanes says, do they need a heater? Yeah, they're from they're from tropical Africa. So mid 70s is just fine. Um, I've never kept them below, say, 74 degrees or so. No, actually, maybe 73. They were in one of the bottom corner tanks up in the annex for a while that is one of our coolest tanks. Um, and for the last couple of months, they've been up in a top tank that's one of our warmest tanks. So I think I've kept them from, say, 73 degrees-ish on up to 78, 79 degrees without any problems. Now, can they go cooler? Maybe, but I don't know. I haven't tried it. Can they go warmer? Maybe, but I don't know. I haven't tried it, but yeah. That range has been fine uh, for them with me, yeah. All right, um, for updates on the warehouse, we're very close. We have had the system up and running for um, a while. Everything, we, the stuff seems to be working. We're still getting things uh, finalized. Mainly the UV sterilizers need some um, controls added to them. We've been running the system, but we haven't got the bulbs put in and fired those up yet. Um, we hope to be able to do that tomorrow. The controls and sensors guys should be here tomorrow. Um, we did get things wired for them. 
the big holdup before, the reason we weren't able to turn it on last week was sensors and controls need to be dialed in a little more. But also, um, the they, they require 230 volts and the electrician had wired 208 volts to them thinking that would be fine. But the engineers who developed them, when we, we talked to them said, nope, no, don't do that. That'll be a problem. So we had to put in a, a is it a transistor? Transformer, I think is what you call it, and get the voltage right. Um, that went in, I believe yesterday or the day before. So hopefully when the sensor guy comes back tomorrow, uh, they can now finish the sensor and controls. Now the voltage is correct. And we can uh, very delicately slide those UV bulbs in without touching them with our greasy fingers and causing a hot spot on them or um, or dropping them or something and uh, get that thing fired up. Um, once that's fired up, then let that kind of circulate for a couple days, make sure that's all going well. Um, and then we can get the tanks all ready and get some fish in there. So we're getting really close. For those who would like to see exactly what's going on with that. If you go to dancefish.com, it'll take you to this page. If you scroll to the bottom, view previous newsletters, you can click this and you'll get the new newsletter all the time if you give us your email address there, anytime we, re we release one, which is usually once a month. A little late this month because I've been very busy with the warehouse, but I got it out today, just a little earlier today. If you click this, then you can click on the April newsletter and that will show you what's going on. And there's a video showing uh, everything that's going on right now at the warehouse where we're at as of, uh, I think we took this video yesterday, a couple days ago, maybe two days ago. And then there's also updates on the build of the warehouse. And then this is very, very cool. Andrew Fassbender wrote an amazing article on his experience keeping, breeding, and raising the trout goodyear, Iliadon fursidens. So there's a nice article here um, where Andrew shares uh, all his tidbits of knowledge and experiences with that fish. So um, if you go there, oops, sorry, and look at that newsletter for April, then you'll get the latest, uh, all the updates in detail of the fish warehouse build. It always goes to the newsletter um, in the most detail. And yeah, that'll, that'll get you up to date real quick. Plus that awesome article on the trout goodyad um, that Andrew wrote. Um, Andrew knows a lot about taxonomy. He does, uh, you know, that's, that's part of his profession. And so the beginning of that article is one of the uh, most thorough explanations of this fish and where it sits in the, in the structure. Um, I don't know if you know, but live bears like guppies and swordtails and all that stuff and killifish are all very closely related, right? Um, the posilids, guppies, let's say, are, are generally in the common parlance called live-bearing tooth carps, whereas the killifish are called the egg-laying tooth carps. So you have tooth carps, live-bearing, and killifish, and egg-laying, right? Um, what's interesting is the goodyids are more, they're live-bearing fish, but they developed a live bearing capacity separately from the postulates, from guppies and all that. They did it on their own, totally different um, evolution and adaptations to make that happen. So they're more closely related to killifish than they are to 
what we think of as live bears, like guppies and swordtails and platies and things. In fact, some of the gudeids don't even give live birth. Some of them lay eggs. And some of the killifish have internal fertilization. So it's this really neat family of fish where you have these, you know, generically called tooth carps. Some give live birth on this side and some lay eggs on this side. But the ones that lay eggs on this side have also started developing internal fertilization and live bearing capability completely separate from these other guys. It's, it's an amazing, an amazing group of fish. Well, knock on wood, it doesn't look like StreamYard is cut out at all. I think we've been going strong. Oh, that's good. It was cutting out like crazy before we started. That's why I had to restart the stream. Um, Bryce, I just saw Odontocaricidium, which is the uh, dwarf hummingbird tetra. So I, it drew my eye because that's one of my favorite tetras. Bryce Martin, just wanted to say that the Odontocaricidium I got from you are thriving. They're honestly the most engaging and, dare I say, magical fish I've kept. Really helped to spawn them. Bryce, that's amazing. I'm glad you like them. Golazo all around. Um, yeah, tiny little hummingbird tetra, a true dwarf, another great nano fish. And I'm glad to hear they're thriving. Man, I hope you spawn them. If you can spawn them, that'd be awesome. Please, if you do, please write up your experiences and let me know. Uh, that sounds like a great article to me for the newsletter. That's cool, Bryce. All right, that's what's going on with us. Um, it's just those last like 3% that we have to get done before we can actually get fish in that warehouse. It's just those last tiny details which, which take forever. <laughs> They're taking forever. But we want to do it right. Uh, the last thing we want to do is, you know, fire up that system and find out it doesn't work or, you know, it, worst case, it hurts the fish, things like that. So we really have to get all this equipment dialed in and it's a pretty detailed process. Dial it in, make sure it's steady, stress test it, all that stuff. So we've been working on it hard, but um, there's more to do. I was really hoping that today I could report we had fish in there, but I'm an eternal, I'm a cockeyed optimist. What can I say? <laughs> an eternal optimist. All right. I'm going to scroll up and see if there's any questions or comments for me. If you would like to talk to me, just put at Dan's fish in the chat, followed by your comment. And uh, if you do that, it'll turn bright orange like these squares here. And then I will see it and, and respond. Oh, and I almost forgot. I saw. Andrew, thanks so much for the super chat. I can't. It won't let me read. I have it open here and it won't let me read a comment and won't let me see it here. <laughs> so if there was a comment, Andrew, I'm sorry. Um, please don't feel like you have to place another super chat just to have me read the comment. Please just post it to below and one of the mods, if you would tag me on it um, or some, make sure somehow I see it. Um, I always feel bad when I miss Andrew's comments and he has to leave another super chat just so like be sure to see his comment. Um, thanks so much, Alexander. Appreciate it. Just the continued support is baffling and amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Get gills. A couple of questions from folks. Can dwarf amber barbs go with shrimp? Yes, absolutely. They're, they're as peaceful as Bararas species. They're as peaceful as chili rasboras, exclamation point rasboras, strawberry rasboras, all, all those guys. 
What temperature do you keep them? Okay, we, we did get the temperature question. In the 70s seems to be pretty good. Speaking of which, thanks to my mods for being here and making this work and doing everything you do for this channel. Sincerely, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Foxy's Fishes. My dear Amber Barbs have been doing great for a year. That's great. Little nano fish, which are, you know, are, are known to have not the longest lifespans, right? Doing good for a whole year. They eat everything for me and get along with all community fish. I thought they spawned, but it was the dwarf emerald rasboras. <laughs> I, I feel you. Yeah, I've been there where I've had a spawn. I'm like, oh, these things spawn. And months later when they grow out, I'm like, oh, that's this other species. Yeah, I, I've been there. <laughs> but dwarf emerald rasboras are pretty cool to raise as well. That's great. Hans Nurg. Hope I said that right. Is, I think acid water a requirement what ph no you don't need to keep them in soft water you don't need to keep them in acidic water uh foxy what what would you say uh is your hardness in ph if you don't mind sharing that so here's the dealio with soft water and you know black water and acid water fish but thanks for asking hans um to know if they did uh, before you you know entered the giveaway to make sure you could give them a good home that's that's smart to ask those questions um is I'm assuming it was before. Either way, thanks for asking the question. Fish have a really difficult time going from hard water to soft water. Generally, not always, but but almost always, what that means is going from alkaline water to acidic water. That That's hard on them. Alkaline and hardness are usually bundled together. Soft and acidic are usually bundled together. Not always, but in general, that's what happens, okay? So if you have fish that are used to hard alkaline water, it's really the hardness that, that matters. And you put them in soft acidic water, it's really the softness that matters here. They're going to have a hard time uh, with the osmotic stress, um, and it's just a lot more difficult on their system. However, hard water has a lot of minerals and electrolytes and things like that that really help fish. So if you take fish from soft acidic water and put them in hard water, probably alkaline as well. It's going to be alkaline if it's steadily hard. Um, then they're going to benefit from all those electrolytes and the osmotic stress on their system is going to actually decrease. The danger with taking a fish from an acidic environment and putting it into a non-acidic environment. So now we are talking about pH, not about hardness. Okay. So the soft to hard water, that's not a problem. The acidic to alkaline there is a danger there, and the danger is this. If that fish is newly imported and it's stressed, um, or it's not accustomed to life in an aquarium and hasn't had the proper TLC to allow it to settle into life in a normal aquarium that generally has alkaline pH, almost all the aquariums, at least in the United States, do, then what happens is that fish can be overwhelmed by uh, protozoans and other pathogens in the alkaline environment. The reason for this is in those very acidic environments where the fish originates, they're so acidic that they're very sterile and you don't have a lot of bacteria growing in those kinds of environments or, or very different kinds, right? There's a lot less stuff uh, that can become pathogenic living in that water, or at least it's very different than the stuff they're exposed to when they come to an alkaline environment. 
So you take a stressed newly imported fish that is not adjusted to life in an aquarium and you move it from its acidic home waters straight into alkaline waters with, without any precautions or taking care of taking care of it properly, let's say, then yeah, it can have a problem because it, it has no immunity because its its immune system is so compromised from the stress. And then it just got put in this environment where it's seen a ton of pathogens it's never encountered before. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is, um, oh, hang on. What was it? <laughs> There's another one. Oh, it just left my mind. Problem number one. Oh, is ammonia. In those acidic environments that fish like the dwarf amber barb come from, the pH is so low that you do not have ammonia. At a low pH, ammonia does not exist. It is converted into something called ammonium. Or if it exists, it's in very low numbers as it's being converted. Um, ammonium is much less toxic to fish than ammonia. I don't know if it's non-toxic, but if it is toxic, it's very minimal. So you take a fish that has never been exposed to ammonia and therefore it's going to be super sensitive to ammonia. Now, ammonia is hard on all fish. Uh, it's, it's poison. It's straight up poison. However, some fish are more able to tolerate than others. Fish from really acidic environments, not able to tolerate it. Never experienced it before in their life. So if you take them and put them in an alkaline tank or a hard water tank, right? Non-acidic tank. And, um, or at least not low enough that ammonia becomes ammonium. And that tank is not stable and not mature and not well seasoned. And it has an ammonia spike. Those fish are gone. They're, they will not make it. However, if they've been taken care of properly and been accustomed to life and allowed to de-stress, and then you get them and you put them in a normally well-maintained um, tank that is not super acidic like their natural environment, right? It can even be alkaline, can even have pretty hard water in it. Um, if that tank is well-maintained, then they should do just fine. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of... That's the breakdown. Hard water, good for all fish, all freshwater fish, basically. Makes it easier for them to exist. <laughs> it's easier on their bodies. Ammonia, really bad, especially if you're from uh, acidic water. And uh, pathogens and things, really bad if you're still stressed, don't have your bolstered immune system, and haven't kind of got used to those environments. But once you've settled in and got used to it, you should do just fine. Just curious, I want to see if Foxy's Fish has chimed in yet, uh, if I can find it. Because I'm really curious what Foxy has kept them in. Um, ha there you go. I keep them at 7.4 to 7.8 pH, lots of spawning activity, but no fry yet. Okay, yeah. So Foxy is able to keep them long-term in, in um, alkaline water. I don't know what the hardness is, but if it's alkaline, it's probably got a decent amount of hardness. Now about the spawning and not having fry yet, this might not be what's going on, but that is one place where it seems, and I'm not sure how much of this is lore versus how much of this has been scientifically proven. I bet there's some scholarly articles written about this and studies that we could dig up. Um, and the reason I think that is in the recesses of my mind, as I remember how I have heard about this, 
I think someone in a talk at a fish club mentioned it and did cite some scholarly articles on it, but it's been forever. So I'd have to verify that. But anyway, something that might be an issue, and I'm saying might because it's been so long since I, that information is from a long time ago and I, it's, I don't know the exact source. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, something that is, is said to happen is that in hard water, the gametes of the fish don't do as well. So I've heard cases of like cardinal tetras not spawning well in alkaline water um, because the gametes or reproductive organs just don't function properly in that environment. So that's something to think about and maybe check into. Again, please verify. Uh, it's just in the mists of, of the past, but um, I, I, if memory serves, that came from a pretty reliable source, but I'd have to double check. But they'll exist fine. They might not breed fine, but they'll live fine and healthy and be just fine. Okay, Paul Soltero. Any chance trout goodies show up on the website soon? Probably not, Paul. Um, we got some in. We got a nice group in from um, from a hobbyist breeder here in the United States, which is the best way to get fish. Um, and uh, and they, they sold out. Someone bought them all. So uh, I think a few people bought some small numbers and then someone came in and cleaned us out. So we don't have any. And the thing about Goodyeads is they're not very prolific. They only have a couple of batches each year. And the batches might range from six to 10 fish. So even though they're hardy and the, the, the babies that they deliver, so cool. So and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. The babies they deliver are huge, super well-developed. So their strategy kind of like guppies and swordtails and things is to have smaller numbers of babies, but more well-developed. So more survive versus like an egg scatterer that just lays a thousand eggs all over. They're tiny. They have no parental care. The eggs hatch out. They're very underdeveloped. Most of them die, but a few live. The live bears, the pocillids like guppies and swordtails and things are like, no, we will keep those eggs inside of us until they hatch inner free swimming and stuff, and then we'll let them out. And so we won't have as many because it takes a lot of room for a baby to get to the free swimming stage, but we'll have, but they will be free swimming. So we'll have less babies, but more of them will survive than the egg scatterers. The, um, the trout goodyids and, and other goodyids take this to the next level. They are actually have an analog to, um, to mammals. So they have the babies have an umbilical cord or an analog to an umbilical cord that is attached from the baby to the mother. And they actually get nutrients through that cord directly from their mother, just like placental mammals. Well, not just like, but in they develop that. So they're not like guppies and swordtails and stuff that um, once the egg is is made, the mother no longer has to put nutrients into that offspring. Um, the egg has all the nutrients that that offspring needs to develop and, and be released. The Gudeids, it's taxing on the mother because she's putting her own energy into those babies over their entire course of development, but she's able to get them to a much larger, more developed size. So in nature, that's a, that's a great bonus, right? You have less babies, but they're so developed that most of them are going to live or enough are going to live. However, for a hobbyist in the aquarium, what it means is 
you can't get a lot of offspring from one female over the course of a year. So they're always going to be a fish that is short on supply, high in demand. They're beautiful. They're, they're amazing fish. They're great aquarium fish in, in almost every way. But they have so few offspring that, um, unfortunately, Paul, I'll get, uh, I mean, that the person, the breeder we got them from knows we want more. But they're like, hey, they only have six to 12 babies at a time or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, Gudeids are always going to be in short supply just because their fecundity is is low. They're, yeah, they don't have as many babies. Al, hail Monger Nation, hail Al. Archerfish has one cloudy eye. Did a 90% water change yesterday. No major change, major change in the tank prior to cloudy eye. So, Al, um, generally what I do... Okay, if one of these fish got a cloudy eye, I probably wouldn't do anything. I would assume, excuse me, need a drink. I would, I would assume it was an owie, unless it was like Popeye or something where it was really coming out, but it's just a little cloudy on it. I'd assume that they scraped it on something. Maybe they jumped and hit it on something. Maybe they were in a tussle and, you know, one of them smacked the other one or scraped it with his tooth or, you know, something like that. And I do that until the situation proves me wrong. As long as the water is in, in good shape um, and parameters are steady and all that, then in my experience, clean water in time usually equals eye recovers without any medicines or anything like that. Um, However, if the water chemistry is poor or, you know, it's not steady and there's shocks to the system, then the eye might not heal on its own. Or maybe it is not one of those scenarios. Maybe it has an actual issue um, going on where it's, you know, got a bacterial infection or, I don't know, a virus or has pressure building up behind the eye and it's pushing it out. There's all, all those kinds of things. Um, in which case, I would keep an eye on it. Clean water and time. But if it gets really bad or that doesn't, it starts to get worse or something like that, then you might need to take it to the next step, which could mean a hospital tank, five parts per thousand salt dissolved into that water before you put the fish in. Um, hopefully that takes care of it. Or you, you could do it in their tank too. Um, the problem is the salt will kill plants and it can, it can, it can shock the system. Um, depending on what's in the system. <laughs> but um, if you can keep five parts per thousand, so that's five grams of salt per liter of water, that can help if the eye is not getting better on its own. And if it still continues to get worse, um, then you might need to, to start thinking about some, some other treatments. Now, the disclaimer here is I'm not a veterinarian or any of that stuff, but that, that's how I would approach it. Um, Yeah, generally it's time. Just be patient. The eye is not going to heal overnight. It's going to take some time. But if it's not getting worse, then it's likely that it's going to start getting better given some time. And my, my best wishes to you, Al. Um, treating fish for me is always a bit of a crapshoot. I'm not a veterinarian. Um, I work with aquatic veterinarians, though, and I'm here to tell you for them sometimes it's a crapshoot, too. Like, there's no guarantees on it but i really hope that the, the fish does okay for you archer fish are like pets they're like little water dogs 
Um, hope yours does well. All right, Samuel Joseph Fernald. Any chance of sourcing some? Okay, Pteranotropus. Oh, Wallaca. So we're talking about the blue nose shiner. Been after that species forever. Oh, Joseph. Yeah, that's one I would love to do as well. So for those that don't know this fish, this is one of the most beautiful of our native shiners. Um, let me show it to you. I've seen this fish live once. I have a friend that was able to acquire some and kept them, and they were so beautiful. Check this guy out. Just this beautiful sparkly shiner called the blue nose because of this bright blue nose that it gets. See that? Just super bright blue nose. Oh, yeah, look at this picture. Here, can we go there? That's Reddit. Look at that beautiful fish. Whew. Yeah, I'm with you, Samuel. That's been on my wish list forever. And then when I finally did see it in person, it went even higher up on my wish list. It is every bit as pretty in person. So hard to get though, really limited range. Um, not a lot of people keeping them and uh, not a lot of people breeding them. So really hard to get. Would I like to get some? <laughs> yeah, um, it's, they're hard to get though. So no guarantees, but they've been on my list for a long time. I, yeah, I know that fish well. David W., do you think dwarf amber barbs would do well with betta cochina or would they become a snack? I actually think if uh, I'm going with snack just as a CYA gesture. If it was my fish and I had some smallish betta cochina, I might actually try it if the amber barbs were full, full grown. No, I take that back. I think once the betta cochina are adults, I don't think the amber barbs will ever get big enough that an adult betta cochina isn't likely to take a swipe at them. Now that I... Yeah, because even the full grown amber barbs, they're just not that big. Yeah, David, I think it's too risky. Sam says, any tips on raising flagfish fry? Why, yes, I have an entire video on it. So if you go to uh, the Dance Fish YouTube channel, you'll see a very detailed video where I, I do that. I think it's on flagfish. I better check now. Hang on. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I believe... I believe that this video here has a very detailed um, report on how to breed them. And if not, is that how you spell rubra vitata? If not this one, Wapoga Rainbowfish Care and Breeding, I think, I think it's that flagfish one. The reason I'm thinking it might be the red laser one too is I can't remember if I, uh, in that red laser one, did an update on the flagfish eggs or whatever. But but check out that salute to the flagfish video. Um, I, I, it's been forever since I made that video, but I believe that's the one that has the whole process of getting the eggs and raising the fry and all that. I just haven't 
Oh, I made that video years ago. I can't remember the exact details. Bryce Martin just wanted, oh, already read Bryce's um, comment about the Odontocaracidium, which is the dwarf hummingbird tetra, which is an amazing little fish. I hope I can find more of them. Joe Williams. Hey, any suggestions getting Corridor's Pygmaeus to be a bit bolder? Ah, I have about 40 in a well-planted tank, but they spend all their time under plants and driftwood. A few guppies wouldn't intimidate. Um, you could do guppies. I've had really good luck, though, with, with things that are not quite as boisterous as guppies. I've had great luck with pygmy corridors with, uh, most recently, um, licorice gouramis, um, Boraris rasboras. Heck, I bet that these uh, dwarf amber barbs would be great for them. Something up top to dither them like you're, you're thinking, but, and, and they'd probably be okay with guppies. I'm not saying they wouldn't, but guppies can be boisterous little buggers and really quick to the food. So um, you could try guppies, but I, I would go with something with a little more sedate, a little more chill for them. The other thing is, I don't know how long, Joe, you've had them in there, but you have 40 together, so you, you, you have a good-sized school, which is awesome, good on you. Um, so it might just take time. If you've only had them in there for a week or two, it might take another two, three weeks before they really start coming out. They're, they are a timid little fish at first. But yeah, dwarf amber barbs, Bararis species, uh, probably sparkling, sparkling gouramis would be fine. The licorice gouramis did great with them. I'm trying to think of what else they did really well with. Um, raising baby epistos with them is great, you know, but once they get big, the epistos get a little big for them, but um, they're still fine with the adults, but the, the baby epistos, when you're raising them up until they get about an inch or so, they're great dither fish for the, the uh, pygmy corridors as well. Kayla's Aquatics and Exotics throwing down a super chat. Thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate you. And thanks for throwing down a Pippi Longstocking, my favorite sticker of all time. And I don't even have to get smacked in the head, boxed in the face by a fox cat. <laughs> Hope Ed Ch Chattanooga, Ch Chattanooga, I can't even say his name. <laughs> Here's to Chattanooga, whew, Ed. Um, every time I think of a fox cat punching me, I think of Ed and hope that guy's doing well. Ed, if you can hear me, best wishes to you, brother. All right. Curl Kitty 8, do you escape a tank based on fish? Follow aquascape rules or chuck some plants in there and call it a day. Chuck some plants in there and call it a day if I even do that. I am not an aquascaper. Um, now, I have done it. There's been times in my life when I set up really nice tanks. They were nicely aquascaped and maintained and stuff. But at the moment, my tanks are what I would call utilitarian. Um, I base the tank on the fish's needs. So if the fish needs floating plants to feel great, I put in water spray. If the fish needs cover on the bottom, I'll probably put in Java moss. If the fish likes to graze on leaves, I'm thinking of like autosynclus or um, the, some of the whiptails, red lizard catfish, um, things like that, then I'll put in Java fern for them to kind of get up and graze on. Um, but in general, I, the plants serve the fish, not the other way around in my tanks. That being said, I do very, very much enjoy a nicely aquascaped tank. I've done them a few times. 
but I'm no expert on plants. Um, here's how I do plants. I, I do the tank. Say I'm aquascaping a tank. I get it set up. I put the plants in. Um, and I generally just use whatever I can find, you know, might be just at the local Petco or something like that. That's the level I'm at. It's pretty basic. Put them all in there. The ones that live, live. The ones that don't, don't. And the ones that live, I'll like further propagate to fill in the areas where the ones that don't used to be. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not an expert on plants at all. All my tanks are at the service of the fish. In, in water quality is what I focus on high volume water changes and uh, in, in my current system, you know, keeping the filters as clean as possible. <laughs> Thank goodness we have Mandy to help us with that and make sure, make sure that gets done. Um, Cause we're getting pretty busy with the warehouse and stuff. So Mandy, if you're there, shout out to you. Thanks for everything you do to make sure that we get that done. Wichita Falls Fish Keeper, since you're talking about live bears, I need some platinum half beaks in my life. Do you plan to bring some in? Yes and no. One of my favorite fish. Here's the problem with half beaks. They are not treated well in the supply chain. Um, and I try really hard to be humane about the supply chain. Now there's still a lot of work to do in that area. Um, we're in the midst of a little bit of a revolution in that area right now. And for some suppliers, they're far, pretty far along in it for others. They're just starting and others haven't even started yet. So, um, the half beaks, here's, here's what happens. I think with half beaks, their beaks are easily caught in nets. And so at the different stages along the supply chain, people use nets. And I think oftentimes their beaks get caught in them and that can damage the beak, you know, their, their jaw basically. And so what happens is often that can lead to issues where the fish uh, gets an infection or, or whatever. And they're such a slender, small, delicate fish that once they get that damage, it can be hard for, for them to recover. So the import side of that fish, the sourcing side of that fish is abysmal. And I'm talking about all half beaks here. The longer the beak, the more pointed the beak, the, the worse it is. Um, Celebi is not as bad because their beak's small, but any of the, the longer ones and those little wrestling guys for sure. So what I'm trying to do is figure out a way because I love wrestling half beaks. I have a few here. I've bred a few over the last few months and I think we've got like a couple. I don't know if they're listed yet. We might still be growing them out, um, but I've had a couple batches I've been able to raise up here and sell. But um, for the last few months, the ones I've been doing are the normal half beaks, not the platinums. I don't have any platinums at this time, but what I'm trying to do is work with a few suppliers um, and see if we can't humanize that fish's experience to the point where I can start bringing them in again. Because I, I love, I like all species of half beaks. They're one of my favorite groups of fish, but it's, uh, I can't in good conscience do it right now just because they're not done right. And I don't want to add to the, I don't want to add to that problem by creating a demand for a fish that, uh, that is not going to be treated right. I want, need to work with some people and see if I can change that before I bring them in again. Curl Kitty 808. 
throwing down $2 and not punching me in the face with the fox cat instead. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, girl kitty. Appreciate the super chat. Um, Kelly Foreman. Kelly, I hope you're doing well. Great to hear from you. One day I will sneak in with a bucket load of plants and aquascape that tank behind you. You won't even know it hit you. Oh, yeah. I would, I'd almost welcome that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I present the green spot algae aquascape. <laughs> I have not had time. You can make time for anything, right? But with everything we have going on with the new facility getting online and everything, um, and my focus has been so much on that that I haven't scrubbed that front glass and got that green spot off for forever. And uh, it's not because Mandy hasn't tried to make me do it. <laughs> it's because I'm always swept up in something else. Kevin V, looks like you have room to add more tanks later. Everyone likes more fish. Yeah, so um, if you're talking about the warehouse, we do have room to add more tanks. But the tanks down here and in the annex will fill most of that. So once, once that's all up and running and we've got the fish moved over there, um, and we know it's, we're going to give it a few weeks to really make sure everything's good. But once we're confident that, yes, that's going to be good long term, then we'll tear down everything here and move everything to the warehouse. So most of that space in the warehouse that's empty, um, tank space anyway, will be filled when we move things from our current location to that location. But there is um, one area which we're using is, is kind of a flex space as we get to know the space, get to work in there and see what we really need that we could put tanks in. So we could easily add 60 more aquariums um, in one section if we, and, and we think we want to, we hope to do that, but we didn't want to do that and then find out, you know, we, if we just had a space for a work table, we would be twice as efficient as we are without it, you know, or something like that. So we need to get in there and, work work actively in that space for a while experience it before we know for sure that that's the correct use of that space but yeah we can stick stick uh, all the tanks from the basement and the annex in there and then still have room for 60 more tanks without even starting to get cramped we think toad tamer i've got some leftover red yarn do you think if i made spawning mops mops out of it my rainbow fish would use it yeah they don't care what color it is make sure it's not wool you want a synthetic yarn, like an acrylic. Um, you probably could use wool, but that's a natural fiber, which will gradually decompose in the water, which can be a, a kind of a gross issue. But um, yeah, synthetic yarn, sure. And the rainbow fish don't care the color. So if it doesn't bug you, it won't bug them. Scott Schmidt at Dancefish, can they go with least killies? I think, Scott, that you're asking about the dwarf ram rainbow barbs, and I would say no. The least killifish, Hetriandria formosa. I, um, it's not actually killifish, it's a live bearer. And even though they're small, they're aggressive little, um, how do I say this politely? They're aggressive. Yeah, they're very assertive. They harass other fish frequently. So I definitely would not put dwarf amber barbs with least killifish even though size-wise it might make sense, temperament-wise it would not. Um, they would get bullied real quick. Alexander Engelhart, no comment in the super chat, but if you want a question, <laughs> so I didn't miss the comment. I just feel bad. I don't know what it is about the system, Alexander, and everyone else that leaves super chats, but sometimes 
there will be a comment and it, it literally won't let me see it, which I don't know. Anyway, but if you want a question, what redundancy or backup systems exist in the warehouse to operate during breakdowns or power outages? Good questions. Um, so there is a system. There's two. One is short term. Um, and one is long term. So uh, first off, we're working with the people installing everything to make sure that we have parts and we have expendables, right? So we're not going to run out of like, let's say UV filter bulb breaks. Um, I'm about to order a second set of them so that if the set we, ins we install, hopefully tomorrow breaks, um, we don't have to be like, oh, we got to order that. Like we just have that on hand. Um, filter bags, same thing. There's parts of the boilers that are likely to go out at some point. And so that kind of stuff where it's known that they're going to need to be replaced in some time. We'll, we'll get spares in or make sure that the folks that um, install that equipment have spares available. So that's number one, working with the, the folks installing that equipment to make sure we have the stuff that is going to break or just, just a simple expendable. But that's not really, that's just kind of a precaution. Short term, what we do is we, we have a generator system that's getting put in where um, what it does is it keeps the temperature right. So it runs the furnaces and the air conditioner and it runs the work lights, not the tank lights, but the work lights. It gives us internet in the building and it runs the air pump. So let's say that a piece of equipment broke and it's gonna take some time to get it fixed. Well. If we cut feed on the tanks, so we're not adding, you know, stuff that's going to create ammonia and nitrogen in the tanks, um, and just keep them the right temperature and keep the air going, then we've got two weeks where um, we could limp along. Probably wouldn't be selling during that time, maybe as much, um, but we could keep everything alive until that breakdown was dealt with. So that's one thing. Well, before we even get into that, though, let's talk about um, we have two air conditioners. We have two furnaces. So if one breaks down, we have the other. We have two boilers. So if one breaks down, we have the other. We have two carbon filters. If one breaks down, which right now one is broken down, <laughs> then we have the other. We've been able to run on one without any problem. Um, so th there are things like that that are already in place. But the up to two weeks, we can limp along with our generator. And then if it's longer than that or going to be for some reason, like let's say the creek just turned, I don't know, let's say the creek turned toxic, permanently toxic one day. I don't know why I would do that, but let's say it did. Then we have the, the, the municipal water, which is the same water I'm using in this facility and the annex, run to the warehouse and... Um, I, I know how to very quickly connect that to the system and run on, on city water. So those are the kinds of things we're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the plan. Try to have things in place for redundancy. Try to have things in place so when something um, isn't expendable or something that's likely to break, that we already have that. 
and then be able to limp along for two weeks with our generator and then long term transition to city water if the creek ever, I don't know, exploded or something. It's a good question, though. Redundancy is important. Glassbox Hero. Yo, yo. Just popping in to say hi. Hit that like and remind you to do the same. Have a great stream. Share that knowledge. Hey, Glassbox Hero. Thanks for being here. Aquariums maintained by Andy. Thanks for the super chat and the cute little lemon superhero box thing. Yeah, that's a cape, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you so much for the super chat. I can't see a comment, so hopefully you didn't leave one because if you did, I can't read it and I, that makes me feel a little bad. But um, thanks so much for being here and participating. All the best to you. To you and yours. Okay. Samuel Joseph Fernal. I've been after Pseudomugal mellus, me too, for years, me too. I haven't been able to find anyone who breeds them in the U.S., I know. Can you work your magic for me? I've tried, Samuel. Um, so I was working a deal with someone in Australia um, where we could get mellus, we could get uh, Melanotania pygmaea, we could get an amazing number of really cool blue eyes and um, rainbows and other fish. The issue is the price point was untenable. I don't think people are going to pay. Oh, I can't remember what it was. So the first thing is each species you have to bring in a few hundred of. So you have high quantity. And then I think the costs, I think I was going to have to sell things for somewhere between like 60 and $100 a piece. I can't remember for sure, but it was a lot of money. Now, there are enough people that want Melanotania pygmaea and Pseudomugil mellis that I could probably sell at a very, at the, at the crazy price point I would have to. Um, I could probably sell maybe 50, maybe 100 of those fish. However, I would have to bring in a few hundred. Now, let's say I did sell all of those. In order to, to balance out that order, I'd have to bring in a lot of other species as well that do not have as high a demand. And it would be the same high price point. So like uh, Splendida, right? Um, or, well, there, there's several of them. And, but, but species that are not necessarily in super high demand so I, it didn't make sense. Um, if I did that, I would have been stuck with literally, I don't know, let's hear. Probably 15 to 20,000 fish that I could not move at the price point required to make that order make sense. Now I'd like to do it and just bring in like a box of Mellis or a box of um, Monotania Pygmaea, but that doesn't work when you're importing. You have to do many boxes of fish and it, it, I just couldn't make it work. So I'm sorry, Samuel, I tried, I wanted to do it. I may try again, but um, you're talking about to make that order work. It was somewhere in the ballpark of like a quarter million dollars to, to get that done. And that, that didn't make sense. I think that's true. I think it was, I think it's close to a quarter million dollars retail value. 
that's the that's the quantity of those fish I would have to bring in in order to in order to work with that exporter. Um, now, it's been about a year and a half, so some of those details might be a little foggy, but that's that's what I remember from that. Either way, the the price point could not work for the market I serve. Yeah. <sighs> Bob and Ed punching me in the face with a fox cat. Ed, it's good to see you, buddy. I'm just thrilled to see you. Super chat or not, I'm I'm just glad you're here. Uh, Glad you're around, dude. Yeah, my best to you um, and yours with everything going on. And and thanks for the super chats, gentlemen. Always appreciated. Never required. But as you know, makes my wife super happy when money falls out of the computer screen. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay, scrolling up because chat jumped on me. The the top, it, it won't let me scroll all the way to the top. So the next one I can see is from Rosie. I'm spitting up. Ooh, that sounds horrible. And moving some pea puffers out to, oh, splitting up. Okay, good. I thought you meant spitting up, like... Like you're an infant, you know, and you're burping the baby and the baby spits up. That didn't sound pleasant. <laughs> Nothing like a little white vomit to round out your day. I'm splitting up and moving some pea puffers out of a 40 gallon to a 20 gallon. Okay. Is an odd number or even number better? Thank you. I, I don't think odd or even matters. I think quantity matters uh, personally. So if you're going to put 12 or 13, um, in a tank. I'm just making that number up. I think 12 or 13 would be the same. Now, if you're going to put in two versus nine, that's a big difference. Then I would go with the nine. If you're going to put in um, three versus 10, then that's a big difference. I would go with the 10. So with pea puffers, I think the more you have to spread the aggression, uh, the better without crowding, you know? So that's how I would I would say that. I I've heard every now and then that you want an odd number of something, and maybe that's true, but I've never seen that. I think what you want in situations like that is quantity. Wendy, my GH is 50 ppm total hardness per commercial well test, but my KH 12 degrees per liquid test. Man, I'm not even sure what a degree is. I know parts per thousand and I know DGH. But anyway, your KH is 12 degrees, pH of 8, with such a high calcium drive up GH. Yeah, pH doesn't budge lots. Of All their cones can get it to 7.8. Yeah, you've got, you've got, um, well, your, your hardness is not super hard. You got quite a lot of buffer in there, though. pH alkal- Your pH is pretty alkaline, which is, and you've got some calcium carbonate in there. Um, yeah, the more calcium you have, the more it's going to drive up your GH. Yes, uh, the pH doesn't budge but lots of alder cones can get it down a bit. This makes sense to me. I think you have really well buffered water. And so it's going to take quite a lot to, uh, to acidify it. Now it also takes time. 
it's one of those things where if you have a tank or something, you're using alder cones to lower the pH, that buffer has to be absorbed and neutralized before you're going to see a real drop in pH and a permanent drop in pH. Um, or a significant drop that's also permanent, let me put it that way. So you've got a ways to go and that takes time. The, the tricky part about doing this, about lowering your pH in an aquarium with, um, with tannins, uh, peat moss, alder cones, almond leaves, oak leaves, whatever it is, if you have really well buffered water is if you change the water, let's say, let's say you finally get it to the point where enough of the buffer has been neutralized that now the pH is really dropping and staying low. It gets tricky because then when you do a water change, you're probably adding water that has more buffer back in it and then the pH will go up again. So, so that's the tricky part of all that. Um, but yes, Wendy, it sounds like you've still got quite a bit of buffer in there. Now, be aware, this is coming from someone who generally doesn't mess with pH. I kind of use what I've got. I don't mess with hardness. I use what I've got. Um, so I, I'm not the most experienced, but I, I know the basics of it. And I've done, I've done, I've lowered pH with tannins and, you know, botanicals and things like that in the past. So I, I'm a little familiar, but yeah, it takes forever. That buffer has got to get neutralized. Debbie Russell, what is the pH range for rainbow fish? Highly variable. Um, I've seen them kept in soft acidic water. I've see, seen them kept in hard alkaline water. Steady parameters are more important for rainbow fish and almost all other fish than pH. So, yeah, I mean, unless yours is like very, very extreme, they're probably going to be okay. If you can keep other fish that are, you know, normally seen in the aquarium hobby, then you can keep rainbow fish. They're, they're highly adjustable to pH. Some dude, <laughs> it's a great username. <laughs> I added 30 scuds of varying ages to my 40 breeder for BBA, like you said. How long until I notice BBA reduction? I have fish that could have eaten them, so I don't know if I have to add more. Well, 30 scuds is not a ton, and I'm sure your fish did eat some of them. And I don't know what your setup is, but if you've got gravel or a coarse sponge filter, or you know places they can burrow down and hide, then I'm almost positive some of them made it. Um, but it's going to take a little while if, if until their population um, gets up high enough that they're going to be able to make a really big dent. I'm sure they're getting predated. They're going to have to get savvy to that. But what's going to eventually happen if some made it and scuds are like, tough little guys. So I assume they did if there, if there was enough hiding and burrowing places. So let's say your fish did not eat them all when you first released them and didn't pick them all off and you've got enough to reproduce. Um, they're going to live down in that gravel and in grooves in the wood and inside your coarse sponge filter, whatever, any little nooks and crannies and gradually reproduce. And I don't know how long it'll take because I don't know how heavily they're being predated on, but they they'll get to the point if they're there and able to reproduce that they'll take care of that algae. It just might take some time for their population to grow enough. In my experience, they're the best algae control I can find. And even when I put fish in tanks to, I wouldn't call it eradicate the scuds because I know they never will, but I often take a fish 
if I have a tank that's full of scuds or that, that has scuds in it that I don't want scuds in, I don't want scuds with a lot of my placostomus. I don't want scuds with a lot of my quarries. Um, I don't want scuds in tanks where the fish kind of hang out because the scuds can crawl over them and irritate them and stuff, especially plecos and things like that. Um, so what I do in those tanks is I'll put a fish that will eat scuds, like an African butterfly cichlid or um, electric blue acara or, you know, something with a mouth big enough to eat scuds. And that guy will go around and, and you'll swear there's no scuds in there. You'll remove that scud killer. And within a few weeks, you'll see a bunch of scuds again. It takes some time, but they'll reproduce. And I mean, I'll keep scuds in tanks with quarries and plecos as long as there's a scud eating fish in that tank to keep the population down. What you don't want is high population because um, then there's so many they'll start irritating the fish. If they're, for example, a placostomus. Most fish swim fast enough that it's not, not a worry, but for those uh, sedentary fish, it can be an issue in large populations. Deb Hall D, those fish look happy in that scape. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I have my tanks for my fish and the plants I don't, I don't pay much, I really don't pay any attention to the plants. Orange cones, hey, orange cones, it's great to see you, lady. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for taking time for a carefully worded email to the equipment supplier. You're welcome. Thanks for doing everything you've done to help me uh, get that uh, equipment secured. Kevin called me today. He happened to be in my town today. Small world, but he was here to see a, a meat processing client. And he called me. He's like, I'm in Sheridan. <laughs> it was out of the blue. It was really interesting. So I told him exactly what the issues were. And uh, yeah, he said he'd take care of it. So for those that don't know, here's the saga. I've been trying to get a tipper time machine since September. We finally got most of the equipment we ordered for it. Um, geez, it's been, a, it's been two months. I can't remember how long it's been. It's been a while. But there's still a piece that um, was not sent. And so I started getting demands, not demands, invoices for payment. And I responded to all of them. And I'm like, I'm happy to pay, but I haven't got the equipment yet. And I never heard back. So I was in a position where I was like, Are they going to send me to collections? They haven't responded. So I, I sent a few emails saying, okay, got the, got the message that you got your invoice, but just so you know, I don't have the equipment yet. No, I'll pay as soon as I get the equipment. Never heard back. So I was fearful. I was getting in a position where, you know, they were going to send me collections for an item I didn't even receive yet. And, and I don't pay for stuff until I've received it because there was no communication. So basically it's caused this whole thing. And, um, yeah. So today, uh, Orange Cones, I laid it out very clearly for them what the issues were. And uh, they said they'll make it right. So thanks for what you do on your end to help me get that equipment I need to help bag the imports when they first uh, first arrive. Appreciate your help. Misfit Reptiles and Aquatics. Any Anything super cool and interesting you got coming in soon? Yes and no. The, the thing is, we're not bringing in a lot of new fish until the warehouse is done. Right now, I think I've got, let's see here. I think I have eight aquariums free at the moment. 
that's not enough to do a big import with by any means. Um, so actually what would be ideal is if there's any hobbyists, if there's anyone watching this right now that is bred a, a batch of fish and has um, fish they could sell me. I love buying from a hobbyist. You guys have the best, most healthy fish. You care, you, you give the fish better care than anyone else. Let's put it that way. Um, and I pay 25% of the retail cost shipped. That's what I can afford to pay and still, you know, stay in business. So if anyone there has any batches of fish they're looking to get rid of, um, send me an email, hello at dancefish.com. And I'd love to find like eight species of fish bred and raised by hobbyists that I can get just to kind of fill those little pockets. But until we get in the warehouse, because we're so close, I don't plan on doing any like big imports. It just, it doesn't make sense when we're about to move everything. So I don't have a lot coming in right now, misfit reptiles and aquatics. Um, once we're in the warehouse and we're, we're getting super close to making that transition. Once that happens and everything's been tested with fish and the fish are doing well for a while and everything's good, then I'll do a large import or several actually and get some cool stuff. But during this transition, um, we aren't getting stuff as much we aren't getting new stuff in that often because uh, the move's going to be <laughs> it's going to be an interesting move. Now that being said, if you're keeping tabs on the website, you'll have seen lots of cool stuff come in in small numbers. We're able to do small little things. Um, the the Mulanitania Kalitawa. Um, we we're able to list a few more of those. Um, Yellow laser or gold laser Corydoras. List a few more of those. Um, some gold rose line barbs. We have some different quarries and things coming up. We had empire gudgeons uh, recently. So we're able to get some things in, but not in any kind of numbers. And they, they tend to sell out super fast. So we're, we're just kind of trying to maintain for now, still get cool stuff in, but it's not like we're getting large imports in until we, until we move. It's just a tricky time, this transition time. It's 826. Okay, I'll hit one more, then we'll do the giveaway. Fishy on tank ticks. Did I butcher that? Fishy on tank ticks. Uh, that's how I'm going. Blue baddis, if you remember, chameleon dwarfish. Yeah, baddis baddis. Yeah, I love those guys. Absolutely. I hope to bring some in. How long, asked Greg, do you expect your UV bulbs to last? Don't know for sure until we get them in and test them. Um, they're rated for a little over a year. But there's a um, UV intensity sensor that goes in the unit, and you can actually see how much UV is getting from the bulb across to the sensor. So we'll see when not enough UV is getting across and, and know that's when we have to replace them. Uh, could be a little over a year, could be a year, could be six months. Um, we haven't run it yet, so we don't know what to expect, to tell you the truth. I just hope I don't break them while we're getting them in their initial install. That's that's what I'm afraid of. Um, last one before the giveaway. Carmo's Creations. Angelfish from last week's giveaway arrived safely and well. They're absolutely beautiful. I knew you'd like them. Thank you so much for these awesome live streams and giveaways. You're welcome. Glad you got them. Glad that they're uh, nice and, and healthy for you and that you like them. Yeah, they are cool. I just I didn't know for sure which location they were from, so felt weird about selling them, but I knew someone would enjoy them. Speaking of giveaways, let's give away a pack of Dwarf African Amber Barbs right now, Borboides gracilis. 
a true nano fish. Super cute little guy. And the winner is Davo. That's fun to say. Davo. Davo, you have won. You've got two minutes to chime in. Just leave a comment so we know you're here because um, you do have to be present to win. While we're waiting for Davo, um, let's get maybe one more. Kevin V, my rainbow fish are doing good. I got two females. Can rainbows crossbreed? Yes, rainbows are notorious for crossbreeding. Um, so yes, indeed they can. It's one of the big challenges with rainbows is that there's so many species and they're disappearing in the wild at such a horrendously rapid rate. I think I used horrendous frequently in the last couple of minutes, but at a very rapid rate. And so one of the challenges is, is if we crossbreed them, then um, we'll no longer have the pure species and we can't get any more from the wild because their their habitats are being absolutely demolished. And so um, we try really hard not to hybridize rainbows, not because me personally, I don't have anything against hybrids. I think you can develop some kind of cool stuff when you hybridize, but it really impact. If we could take the space and energy and keep a species pure versus create a hybrid, and that species is gone in the wild, I'm not saying you can't hybridize. It's, you do you. But um, that was an opportunity to help preserve a, a, a species that is extinct in the wild or close to it um, that is lost. And to me, that's just a little bit tragic. But I have no qualms with people that want to do flower horns or do, you know, whatever. I, You know, just, just be up front if you ever move those fish onto someone else that, Hey, these are hybrids. Um, so they don't accidentally breed those to something thinking they're pure and then accidentally muddy some lines of some very precious genes. There's only very few of a lot of these rainbow fish in captivity. And as their habitats are being destroyed, like that genetic material becomes so precious. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it, but yeah, they will hybridize. Kelly Foreman, Kahuna Aquatics has Pseudomugil Mellis, I think. I am way down his list, though. Yeah, so um, I think there's a couple hobbyists in the United States that do have them. But, uh, you know, they're they're reproduced in such small numbers that it doesn't even, it's not even a drop in the bucket for what people would like, for sure. Yeah. Davo says, Dan's Fish, yes, I'm here. All right, Davo. In that case, send us an email to hello at dancefish.com, H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. And we'll get the um, shipment of those dwarf African amber barbs set up for you. Congrats. Thanks for playing. Oh, I just wrong screen. <laughs> That's what I meant to do. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to close this out because it's 831. Let me see real quick. Punchy Paints, if you're going next, would you let us all know? Um, Pam often goes at about nine o'clock. Oh, geez, really? Hot girls and boys video chat? Really? Get out of here. All right, it's definitely time to close this down. Thanks, mods, for catching that. It's definitely time to close down when, when you got the, the porn spamming you. So we'll close down now. Thanks to my mods for doing what they do every night I, or every week, being here and making and, and stopping the, the porn spam. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone that left a super chat for us. We love it when money falls out of the sky and we are a startup, so every little bit does help. Everyone that left a question or comment, 
appreciate that, uh, making it lively here. Thanks to Andrew for writing that amazing article on the uh, on the uh, trout goodies. Really appreciate. That. I think you did an amazing job. <laughs> um, where am I? Hail the Lurker Nation! Everyone watching on replay. Hello, everyone listening to the podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Michael Melier for making the podcast possible. With that, let's see here. Did Pam chime in? Is Pam going? next don't know anyway pam might be going if you want more chat in about half an hour i'll be back next week same bat time same bat channel until then i hope you have a great week bye bye oh pam is going next all right pam's going next